So the title of the message today is The Divine Call. We are in our second sermon on in the book of 2 Peter. Today we will be looking at verses 3 and 4. Uh, we looked at verse 1 and 2 last week as well as a, a brief introduction and then looked at the greeting. And so we're going we're gonna to be talking about the divine call today. The divine call. You could really give this... Uh, we see this call... In, in verse three, when it says he, who, that he called us, that he called his own to him, that's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, we could give it the name like I did today, the divine call. I chose that name because I wanted to focus on who it is given the call. This is a, this is a divine call coming from God Himself. It is a powerful call, often referred to as the effectual call or the inward call, this is not the outward call that we see in the Scriptures. You remember the verse where Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. That is the outward call. When the the Gospel goes forth, when the Gospel is preached, that's the outward call. That's what happened last night to hundreds of people in Bricktown. The outward call of the Gospel went out. And that's what, as a church, as the church, the church of Jesus Christ, we are commanded. Um, it could be through preaching, through one-on-one evangelism, to, to proclaim this outward call and appeal to sinners to come to Christ. So that's not what this call is that we're talking about today. I don't know, and you don't know, none of us know. I've heard red quotes where obviously Charles Spurgeon didn't know who the sheep are, who the elect are. But what we do, guys, we we have the promise in Scripture that when the Gospel is proclaimed, that Christ, that His sheep will hear His voice. Just like Lazarus heard His voice in the tomb and came out. His sheep will hear His voice and they will come to Him. That's why, that's why so many of the great evangelists and preachers that God has used down through church history, when you study church history, when you see true moves of God, true revivals, right? True revivals. That's why so many of these evangelists and preachers were reformed slash Calvinistic because they understood this very thing. That we are to proclaim the Word of God and God will call His people to Himself. That's a promise we had in Scripture. And so they understood, and you and I need to understand that that we can preach the whole counsel of God. We can preach the things that are hard, hard for, that we would consider the harder things of God, the judgment of God, the holiness of God. We can preach on doctrines like the sovereignty of God and like hell, knowing Okay, knowing that his sheep are going to hear his voice and come. Knowing that we don't have to try to be pragmatic. We don't have to try to soften the message for fear of offending people and turning people away because we know that the Bible says that there's none that seek after God. They don't want God until God calls them. So it it really matters. It really affects the way we go about ministry when we understand these things. That His sheep will hear. His sheep will hear His voice. His sheep will be made poor in spirit. They will be. They will hear the Gospel. They will be convicted of their sin. They will come through the narrow gate. That's the only gate you can come through. They will experience the offense of the cross. Right? Remember how the cross, it offended us at one point, right? It told us, you're a sinner, you're wrong. There's something wrong with you. His sheep will hear His voice and they will come this way through the narrow gate. And you know what they'll do? They will fly to Jesus Christ to receive mercy and forgiveness of sins. Because they will be desperate for a Savior. Charles Spurgeon in his catechism says this about the effectual call, which is what we're looking at today. He says, what is the effectual call? And he says this, he answers this, 
Effectual, the effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills. He does persuade us, or He does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely, freely offered to us in the Gospel. Because remember what the Scripture says. Sinners are dead in sin. No one's seeking after God until God in His divine call changes the will of a man. And then they become willing. And they come to Christ. So before we get started, just real quickly, a quick review over the first two verses last week. I'm going to read those. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's what we looked at last week. And just real quickly, for those of you who weren't here, uh, just in the greeting, we, we recognize that it's, that it's Peter, Simon Peter, who wrote this, the, the apostle, he identified himself as a, as a bondservant, a slave, a doulos of Christ, and as an apostle. And just the, the beautiful balance of, being, of, of, of having the authority of an apostle, but understanding his place before Christ. And he's no different than you and I. He's a slave before Jesus Christ. And, and he wrote, we talked about our saving faith that we, that we had received last week, that it was a, a faith that we had received. Not that we had earned, not that we had been, we had not, we had not received this for anything we had done, but we talked about that word being, that, that word received being, being by a divine lot, by the divine will of God. It was a gift given to us, even our faith. And he, and he told these readers that their faith was the same kind as ours. That you remember, it's, it's, the, it's the same precious faith that we all have, whether you're in a whether, whether Peter as being an apostle, or whether, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you and I in here today, we all have the same faith. We received it in the same way, and that was through God's divine, sovereign will. And it's the same. None of us, none of us have a leg up on, on another. The saving faith that I have received is the same saving faith that you have received. And we received it by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Right? His perfect righteousness that was imputed to us when we believed. And just the, and, and in verse 2, he just prayed for these people that grace and peace be multiplied to them. Right? That the whole passage of the first four verses is, is centered and just... And just marinated in the grace of God. It's all by the grace of God. And we know that we have peace with God because of our faith in Christ. And we can experience more of the peace of God the more we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so that leads us to verse 3 today. To this divine call that we're looking at. And so in verses 3 and 4, Peter, this is real important to remember, Peter is appealing to them to live a life of godliness. Okay? And then we're going to see it really, really fleshed out in the next several verses over the next week or two. That he's, that he's appealing to them to live a, a life of godliness, but it's, it's all because of his divine call. Okay? We need to remember that. Anytime we're called to, to, to a certain standard of living, it's because of what God has done for us. We don't, we don't want to get the cart before the horse, so to speak. It's all as a result of what God has done. Everything we're looking at, at today is, as a, is a result of God's grace. Is a result of this divine call that we're looking at. So if you have your, if you have your outline on the back and you want to follow along, we're going to look at five things regarding the divine call. Okay, The divine call. And the first thing we're going to see... And in the first part of verse 3 is the divine call is our source of power and provision. 
The divine call is our source of power and provision. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Beloved, did you know that you have been given everything you need to live the Christian life? You have been given everything you need by God to live not only the Christian life, but to live a victorious Christian life. That's what this text is telling us. You know, we all may have, not to say we we are being sanctified, we grow, we have struggles, but we've been given everything we need. If you've ever been like me in your Christian life and you're thinking, man, if I could, I'm just waiting on something else. Beloved, you've been given everything at the time of your conversion. Have you ever had these thoughts of maybe you're thinking so-and-so, you have an individual in your mind, if, man, if so-and-so, they must have something that I don't have in their spiritual life because they just seem to have more victory or whatever the case may be. Beloved, the faith that they received is the exact same as yours. We've been given, every, we've been given everything we need Everything, that word everything, it means no lack. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. There's nothing lacking in what what has been given you. Everything pertaining to life, that is pertaining to eternal life. The faith that you have been given, God will preserve it to the end. And everything you've been given to live the abundant life has been deposited to you already. To live a life, it says, pertaining to life and godliness. This godliness just has the idea that it's our sanctification. It's our our life being lived out. The word godliness has the idea of true reverence and worship, which is accompanied by obedience. This has all been given to us. The ability to to, to live this out. John Gill called this this word, he described it as the internal religion. It all came. The source was the divine call when He called you to Himself. He gave you the, Gill said, the internal graces of His Spirit. Just as much, you receive just as much of that as anybody else. Any great saint, and I say that hesitantly, right? There's no great saints. There's a great God, but anybody who has done great things for God, we've all received the same faith. When did you receive this? Right? When you believed. When you believed. When did you believe? When God called you. By His grace. That's when all of this took place. And it says in verse 3 that that His divine power has granted to us these things. That word granted, or that phrase granted, it's a perfect passive participle, meaning that in the past, with continuing results in the present, God has permanently given by His grace what you need to live a life of godliness. Okay? He did it in the past, And it continues on. He gave us our faith that we looked at last week. week, Our faith to believe and be justified. He gave us our faith. And He gave us everything we need to live the Christian life. You are not lacking in these things. There's no second class. There's not a second class kind of faith. He's given it all to you. And He provided all of this by His divine power. By whose divine power? There in verse 3. Seeing that that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Whose divine power? Christ's divine power. Christ was the last one mentioned in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is Christ's power. This is provided by 
the power of Christ Himself. Again, just in this phrase, by, the, by His divine power that we see, we see Peter all, again, marking the, the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ is everywhere we turn in Scripture. This divine power of Christ is why you and I have what we have. Everything that we need to live a, a, the Christian life has been given to us, has been graced to us by Christ Himself, by this power of Christ. You want to know what kind of power Christ has, guys? You remember in John 10 when He said, I have the authority or the power, it's the same word, I have the authority or the power to lay down my life. And I have the authority or the power to raise it up again. That's the power that He's talking about. And so, beloved, do you have any idea the power that resides in you, that you received when God called you to Himself? Do you have any idea? Flip over to Ephesians 1, if you, if you don't mind. Or, or just listen while I read it. We see more about this power. The same power that Christ said, I have the power to lay down my life and take it up again. Speaking about His resurrection. Ephesians 1, 18-20. Listen, listen to Paul praying for these Christian churches in Ephesus. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. That's what we're talking about today. His calling. He wants these believers to understand the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us? Us, believers. That they'll comprehend this, this greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. That's what this text is saying. And Paul is praying that that these believers will understand that that's what resides in you to live the Christian life. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is present in the believer. Is that not good news? You and I can live a life of victory. We have everything we need. Now why is this important to know? Well, in the immediate context of this letter... Remember we talked about last week that the main context of this letter, the whole second chapter is devoted to the false teachers. What are some things that false teachers tell us? Even in our day, you can turn on certain TV stations and what are they going to tell you? If you really want to have victory in the Christian life, you need a second blessing. You ever heard that? Have you ever, maybe as a, as a believer, before you knew anything about these things, Tried to receive that? I have. How do I get the second blessing? Maybe you need to be the bat maybe you need to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hey, can I share something with you? You already received that. That happened at conversion. You did receive the baptism of the Spirit and you were baptized into the church. This all happened when God called you to himself through the power of regeneration. All of it. Man, if I just could speak in these tongues, then maybe I'd live this victorious Christian life that they, they claim. No. You've received everything you need for a life of godliness when God saved you. If I could just have some private, special revelations from God. Here you go, guys, right here. This is your revelation from God. You have received everything you need through the power of the Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, and we have 
God's revealed Word right here. There's nothing else we need. Now, obviously, we are responsible, right, to exercise the means of grace that God has given us, to read the Word of God, to commune with God, to be, to, to be in fellowship with other believers, these type of things. But as far as what we need from God, guys, if you're waiting on a second blessing, you're going you're gonna to just keep waiting. You've already been blessed with everything that you need to live the Christian life. And God has supplied everything else outwardly, like the church, His Word, and these type of things. So all of this, our source and power comes from the divine call. The divine call is our source of power and provision. It was all received because of this divine call. Secondly, the divine call is our source of knowledge. In the middle part of verse 3, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge, through the true knowledge of Him. Not a secret knowledge, okay? Not, not a secret knowledge. Not like the Gnostics of the late 1st century, early 2nd century, who they claimed you had, that they had a secret knowledge that they had that, that you had to have. If you truly wanted to be spiritual, you had to have this secret knowledge. And you know who does the same thing in our world? The cults, do they not? We've got the special revelation from God in this extra book over here that you must have. That's not the knowledge he's talking about. He says through the true knowledge of Him. This is a, this is a saving knowledge like we talked about last week. Remember there were two words in the Greek that Peter's dealing with. And they're very closely relate, Related. It's the saving knowledge and then that knowledge that grows in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But this is a, a saving knowledge rooted in the truth about Christ, who He is, that's revealed in His Word. Beloved, aren't you thankful for His Word? I already had this written down and then I read what I read this morning in my, in my private reading. And it, 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 guys... Think about what we have in His Word. This Word is redemptive in nature from Genesis to Revelation. It tells us what's wrong with us. It tells us who God is and how we can be reconciled to God. Don't ever take that for granted, guys. Don't ever take this book for granted. What we have in it. God did not have to give us His Word. He would have been just and allowing us to just live our life and be condemned. We would have been punished, rightly so. But he, in His grace, He gave us His Word. Also, it's a knowledge that's deep and genuine. This is a, a knowledge that's deep, it's personal, it's genuine. It's not simply facts about Jesus, right? Like the demons have. The demons know more facts about Jesus Christ than we do. They know exactly who He is and they know exactly what their end is going to be. No, this is, a, this is a deep, heartfelt knowledge. Listen, listen to Ephesians 4, verses 20 and 21. Jot it down or you can turn there. Ephesians 4, 20 and 21. This is Paul describing the, Gentile, the Gentiles. He describes that the Gentiles, the unbelievers, those who are still in darkness... So that's, that's the context. And then he says this in verse 20. But, but you did not learn Christ in this way. You did not, not, he didn't say you didn't learn about Christ. He says you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him. He didn't say heard about Him. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him just as the truth is in Jesus. This is all saving language. Not learning about Christ, but learning Him personally. You didn't learn Him in this way. If indeed you have heard Him. What are we talking about today? This, this, 
this inward call is when Christ's sheep hear His voice. That's what Paul's talking about. This is salvific language. We come to know Him as a result of the new birth. And then the Holy Spirit now is illuminating the truth of His Word in our minds. This saving knowledge. This intimate knowledge of Christ. Not knowing facts about Him. But truly, you learn Christ. You know Him. Because why? You heard Him. And He continues to speak to us through His Word. Do you know Him? Not do you know about Him. Do you know Him? That's what we've got to ask ourselves. Have you heard Him? Have you heard Christ? Obviously, I'm not speaking about in an audible way. But has Christ called your name to come out of darkness and come to Him by faith? To come to Him and bow your knee to Him? Confess Him as Lord and follow Him? Have you learned Him? Obviously, all of this in a saving way. This is all things that happen when God calls you to Himself. This is the reality. When He calls you to Himself, you come to know Him. So this divine call is the source, our source of power and provision. It's our source of knowledge. Thirdly, in the last part of verse 3, the divine call is accomplished by Christ, whom called us by His own glory and excellence. If you want to say, oh, it's accomplished by God. Yes, it's accomplished by God. Specifically here, it's accomplished by Christ, the second person of the Godhead. What did, what did He call us from, guys? When we think about this call, when it says He called us, called us from what? You can just flip over to your left in Peter's first letter and he tells us specifically what we were called from. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter tells it, again, writing to the same group of people, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's what God calls us from. I lived 22 years of my life in utter darkness. Spiritually, morally, I was in darkness until God called me to Himself. And what does He say about Himself? I am the light of the world. We're called out of darkness into the light. Are you walking in the light? 1 John chapter 1. <clears throat> says this. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Right? We hear that a lot in our day. I love Jesus. And people are not walking in the light. That was me for many years. Are you walking in the light? Not are you living a perfect life, but are you walking in the light? Those who have been called to Christ are now in the light. That's where they reside. That's where you live. That's where you want to be. You're walking. That's your lifestyle. You're walking in the light. Are you walking in the light? This is the divine call, beloved. The effectual call, meaning this, that when God calls you, you will come. When God calls one of His sheep by name, they will come. Just like we did. Just like we did. 
You remember what uh, Spurgeon's catechism said? Listen to this. Let me read this again since we've been discussing it a little more now. What happens when God calls a rebel sinner, one who is in no way interested in the things of God. They are living in rebellion on the highway to hell, going as fast as they can. And something happens. He says, the effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ. Remember we just read about that. Knowing, learning Christ in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills. He changes our wills. And He does persuade and enable us. The same ones who were not seeking after God, the same ones who were dead in their sin, go in the opposite direction, but because of the work of God's Spirit, He does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the Gospel. This is the divine call. It is a powerful call. It's the same call, the illustration we just looked at, the same power where He called a dead man out of the tombs and the dead man got up and came. And He called him by name. He called him by name and Lazarus came to Him. And He calls us by name, does He not? Jamie? Remember Steve Lawson? He calls us by name. Look over at John chapter 10. We can see this. When when Jesus calls His sheep to Himself. John chapter 10 verses 3 through 5. To Him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear His voice. And He calls His own sheep by name. And leads them out. It just simply means it's a personal call. He calls sinners individually to come to Him and find eternal life. His sheep. And He leads them out. Verse 4, when He puts forth all His own, He goes ahead of them and the sheep follow Him. Why? Because they know His voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from Him because they do not know the voice of strangers. That means the true sheep will not apostatize into error, into a cult, because they know the voice of their shepherd. They're not going to follow a strange voice. Right? It's all the work of God. Those who went out from us did so. Why? Because they were not of us. They were not His sheep, but they were goats. Did you know, beloved, you ever thought about this, but this is, this is true. That if you're a sheep here today, you are always a sheep. You are always a sheep. God doesn't change goats into sheep. You are always a sheep, but you are a lost sheep. And you heard the voice of your shepherd and you came to Him. You came to Him. Every now and then, I just heard somebody on the radio this week and I can't remember who it was talking about this very thing. That we were always sheep. And, and then maybe every now and then you, made a, you may have faintly heard His voice. Until one day He called you out of darkness by name. And you came to Him. You came to Him. How does He do this, guys? We're talking all this calling and this sheep. How does, how does it happen? Through the gospel. Listen to Second Thessalonians chapter two. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Obviously, it doesn't. These things don't happen in a vacuum, right? That's why we're commanded as the people of God to proclaim the gospel, so that God can call His sheep by name to Himself. Listen to what Paul says to the Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians two verses thirteen and fourteen. This is beautiful. This should encourage you to preach the Gospel. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this 
He called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This happens as the gospel is being proclaimed, as the truth of the word of God is being proclaimed, and his sheep hear his voice and they come willingly. They come willingly. Just like you came willingly, did you not? You came willingly. Just like the Apostle Paul came willingly. Did he not? If you don't think sinners that are in rebellion against God, God has many, many, many more sheep out there who are lost, guys. And you think, man, that person could never come. If they're one of his sheep, they will come. Listen to what Paul says, guys, in Galatians 1.15. We remember the story of Paul, right? Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church, on his way to Damascus. He wasn't just kind of casually living in sin. He was trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Kill those Christians. Imprison those Christians. Listen to what he says in Galatians 1.15. But when God had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace. He set him apart from his mother's womb and at a given point in time, we have it recorded in Scripture, on the road to Damascus, he wasn't going to a revival hoping to hear from the Lord. He was going, he wanted to put an end to this sect of Christianity. And God called him, Saul, and he converted him. This is a powerful, powerful call. And when God calls sinners, they do come. They do come. They will come. That's why we can preach with confidence that God will save His people. And so this faith, beloved, I love it in, in, in the passage we just read to in 2 Thessalonians. He, he, first of all, he said you were chosen. And then they were called. And that's what we see the, these last two weeks in Peter. And Peter even says in 1 Peter, if you guys remember, he called, he referred to these people as the chosen, the elect of God. That their faith was a, was a gift. And it's all their faith, their, their, their calling is a result of them being chosen. And the faith is a result of them being called. We see the beautiful picture here in Scripture. The same that we see in Romans 8.30. You remember Romans 8.30? We call it the golden chain of redemption. Listen to this language. That's what we see here in Peter. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Who is it that He called? Those whom He predestined. And those whom He called, these, and these whom He called, He also justified. That happens when we believe the Gospel. We're justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. You see the chain. That's what we have here. He will call His elect, His sheep, His people, whatever word you want to use, they will hear His voice and they will believe. And that is God's business. Our business is to be faithful and preach the Word. But that's what we see in Scripture. As clear as day. It doesn't matter what kind of a theological label you want to label yourself. This is Scripture. He predestines. He calls. Those whom He calls, they do come. They believe. It's a gift that we looked at last week. They're justified. They're forgiven. And it's going to end in glorification. But in God's eyes, in God's eyes, all of these verbs are past tense. It's already done. But we're to be faithful to Him. And it says, by His own glory and excellence. Now we're getting to the point. Point number three, it's accomplished by Christ. By His own glory and excellence. This word glory, see, this is referring to Christ still. 
this glory or, or, or majesty. It always belongs to God alone, does it not? The glory that we see. I, I could read hundreds of verses in the Old Testament, but one will, one will suffice, right? Isaiah 48, 11, Yahweh says, My glory I will not give to another. Glory and majesty belong to God and God alone. And so, this word His, it's, speaking to the, it's referring to the glory of Christ. Look in verses 16 and 17 of the same chapter in 2 Peter 1. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance was as this was made to Him by the majestic glory. This is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. I'm sorry, I read 17 and 18. But uh, verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the, the power and come of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty or glory. He said in Isaiah 48 that He will not share His glory with another. He will not give His glory to another. But look what it says in, in verses 17 in 2 Peter 1. When He received honor and glory from God the Father. I thought He wouldn't share His glory with another. But He's given it to Christ. Because it's not another, right? What did Jesus say? I and the Father, we are one. There's one God, three persons of the Godhead. Jesus Christ has the same glory as the Father. That's all that's being communicated here. So this glory, back in verse 3, this glory, it says He called us to the knowledge... Or, I'm just going to read the verse again. That His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. The word glory is referring to His deity. The word excellence, or your version may say virtue. It's referring to His humanity. His moral virtues as a perfect man. This is speaking about His deity and His humanity. The book of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. The glory and the excellence of Jesus Christ, the God-man. And that's why He says these things, He granted, he granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. This true knowledge of Him. The glory of His deity, right? That Jesus Christ is fully God. The, the excellence of His humanity. We have to believe in the true Christ. The true knowledge of Him. Not the, not the false Christ, right? Of the Jehovah's Witness. That He's an angel. No, He's not an angel. He's the creator of the angels. Or of the Mormons that says He's a spirit brother of Lucifer. No, He is God, Yahweh. Or of the Israelites, right? The Hebrew Israelites that say He's an he's a elderly black man with a white afro. That's not who Jesus Christ is. He is Yahweh. And this knowledge comes, guys, when Christ... All of this happens. He gives us this knowledge. We, we, we know Him in a saving way. We have the saving knowledge. All of it happens when He calls us by name through His Gospel and we come to Him. We see our own depravity and now we behold the glory of Jesus Christ. The beauty of Jesus Christ. The loveliness of Jesus Christ. Is Christ glorious to you today? Sitting here. Or does He bore you? Is Christ beautiful to you? Is He altogether lovely? If not, I can say with the authority of Scripture, you're still in darkness. Because that's what He does when He regenerates us. He changes our will and affections where we see Him as He truly is. All of this, point number three, is accomplished by Christ. Fourthly, the divine call comes with the greatest 
promises, the greatest promises in verse 4. For by these, by what? By His own glory and excellence. For by these, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. By these, the attributes of, of His glory and excellence. By these, the truth of who He is. Right? Fully God, fully man, perfect man. The power of Christ through the power of the Gospel. He accomplished through these, right? Through who He truly is. Through His person. Through His work as the perfect man. His death upon the cross at Calvary. Through satisfying God's wrath upon the cross. Through all of this, He has accomplished all that was needed for our salvation. And as a result, as a result, it says He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. The word granted, it's the same as in verse 3. This perfect tense describing a past action with continuing effects. He has granted to us these precious and magnificent promises. It's the language that Paul uses in Philippians 1. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began, he who began a good work in you will perfect it. That's that language of of granted. Past action with continuing effects. God began this thing and He will continue it. He will finish it until you reach glorification. And it says He has granted to us what? His precious and magnificent promises. The word precious we talked about last week, it just means worth more than any and all of the riches, the gold, the silver in this world. And magnificent. It's, the word means valuable and the greatest. That's where I got the word greatest from. These are not just promises. These are the greatest promises that God has given us through His divine call, by His grace. What are these promises, guys? Well, do you want to stay here all day? Probably not. It's amazing even the differences I I read that what exactly are these promises? Well, I think it's the eschatological promise. And I I think it's all of it, guys. All the promises that you can read that relate to your salvation that are in the Scripture is what has been granted to us. From Genesis to Revelation, all of the salvation promises in the Old Testament and the New. We'll just look at two of them. We'll look at one in the very beginning and one in the very end. And just in your, in your reading, as you're reading, you can read all about it for the rest of your life. All the other promises. But Genesis 3.15. Here's the first promise, right? The pro-evangelion, the first gospel. Here we go. And I will put enmity between you talking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, the seed of the woman, the Messiah, Christ, He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise Him on the hill. And we know, we can read about it. We can read how it's just fulfilled more and more and more. Fulfilled at the cross through His resurrection. But you want to see where it's finally and fully fulfilled at the very end? Revelation 20 verse 10. And the devil, right? Here's that serpent. Revelation even calls him that serpent, the dragon, that serpent from of old. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet were also, or are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is the ultimate eschatological final fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. When that dragon is cast into the lake of fire. And all of those who follow Him will be there with Him. These are the greatest promises that we have, guys. All of the salvation promises are yours and mine through Christ. Because by His grace He has called us out of darkness. Sin has Son to die for us. 
You understand that? He sent Christ to die for you. And then lastly, the divine call is a promise of life and escape from death. All of this, guys, the divine call is the source of all of these things that we're looking at today. And so verse 4, By these He has granted us His precious promises and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So that by them, by them, by by them, by the promises which came from Christ in the divine call, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Peter here, this, this phrase, become partakers of the divine nature, he is borrowing a Hellenistic term used in that day. A Hellenistic term meaning the influence of Greek culture on people living in the Greek and the Roman empires. They would use that phrase. And so he's borrowing that. Partakers of the divine nature, obviously they had a different meaning. This partakers of the divine nature, what it doesn't mean is that these people are divine in and of themselves or they are little gods. You guys heard the little gods doctrine of many of the false teachers today. The prosperity gospel, the word of faith movement, they teach that we are little gods. The different cults teach that you can become gods. That's not what this language means. The word, the word may become here in verse 4, that you may become partakers of the divine nature. I'm going to read what John MacArthur says about this phrase, may become. Sometimes when, it, when somebody just explains it so well, better than I can do, it's just better to read their quote. So John MacArthur says about the, word, the phrase, may become. First, he says, may become is not intended to present merely a future possibility. That's what it sounds like, right? May become but a present certainty. The verb builds on all that Peter has written. He has said that in salvation, saints are called effectually by God, right? That's what we've been looking at. Through the true knowledge of the glory and the excellence of Christ. And they received everything related to life and godliness as well as priceless spiritual promises. It is because of all that So basically everything I've said up to this point. It is because of all that that believers may become here and now possessors of God's own eternal life. He's trying to help us understand what this phrase means being partakers of the divine nature. You want to hear hear a simpler statement than what MacArthur said? Listen to what Paul said in Colossians 1.27 Christ in you the hope of glory. All of this is language talking about the, that, that the life of God dwells in us. Christ in us. Christ in you, beloved. As a result of the divine call, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as a result of Christ in us, through the new birth, we are now partakers of the divine nature. This word partakers, the meaning is fellowship or partner. We are partners in the life that belongs to God. I'm going to read the same text that I read earlier in 1 John 1, 5-7, but looking at it through this lens, that we are partakers, that we have fellowship with this divine nature that's, that's, uh, that Peter's talking about here. 1 John 1, 5-7. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So John is just describing what it looks like when somebody is in fellowship with God They're going to be walking in the light because we have fellowship with Him. Our new man, beloved. Our new man, right? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Our new man, by the power of God, is being transformed into the likeness of Christ. 
being transformed into the likeness of Christ. This is what we partake in. We are partakers of the divine nature. Through the new birth, through Christ in us, through our inner man being transformed to the, into the, the image of Christ. We are partakers in the divine nature. We have fellowship with Christ. Right? Remember His prayer in the garden? Uh, his high priestly prayer, right? Just the, the, the intimate language, I in you, Father, you in me, they in us. Just this beautiful picture of us abiding in Him. That's what we're partaking in. Not that we're going to become a God. Which is what the false teachers would say. This is what we no longer partake in. The next phrase in verse 4. It says, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. The corruption that is in the world by lust. This is what we no longer partake in. I partook in that for a long time. The corruption that is in the world by lust. The word corruption. Think of an animal, guys. When you're out taking a walk, right? And you smell something. It's the, it's, you really get a picture of why God had so many laws about not touching a dead body. It's the grossest thing there is. When you see a carcass. That's what this language is. This corruption. It's, an, it's like an animal decomposing or rotting. And you smell the stench. There's nothing like it. Death. Now this is speaking about the corruption in the world because of sin. Because of sin. Not because the world is material like the Gnostics would say. They would say, see they said that the material world was evil. That's what the Gnostics would say. That's why they, that's why they said that Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh. Because how could He have come in the flesh? Flesh is evil. The Gnostics said that the true Christ at the crucifixion, the true Christ was sitting up on a hill watching it all as this man, Jesus, in His body was being crucified and laughing at the whole deal. That's what the Gnostics taught. That the physical matter is evil. No, that's not what's going on here. Corruption is in the world because of sin. The world is in moral, it is morally decomposing or rotting, and you can smell the bad stench because of sin. That's why, all driven by lust, all driven by evil desire, right? That comes from the heart of man. Jesus said, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. It's sin that's in the heart of man that this corruption is describing. It's describing the false teachers as well as all unbelievers. But look at chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. And especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires despise authority. This is describing the false teachers. Verse 18 and 19, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Verse 19, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. Chapter 3, verse 3, knowing this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. This is a picture of people who are slaves of sin that dominate our world. That's what this corruption is in this world. Listen to what Romans 8 verse 21 says, guys, about creation itself. Ever since the fall, when Adam fell, all creation fell. And listen to what Paul says in Romans 8 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Do you hear that? Creation itself at some point will be set free from its slavery to corruption. 
It's not going to be set free. Creation will not be set free from the corruption that it's under through us evangelizing the world. I don't care if every person in the world became Christian that a certain eschatological view teaches. The creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption at the return of Jesus Christ. That's the whole context of Paul in chapter 8. We should try to evangelize the world, but the creation will remain under corruption until Christ comes back. You can mark that down. So in closing, in closing, it says in verse 4, having escaped. You see that word escaped? I didn't look at it in some of the other English translations. I would assume it's escape, but that's what the NAS says. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. He's he's describing these believers, guys. The divine call is a promise of life. We saw that. An escape from death. An escape. That word means depicting a successful flight from danger. Okay? Escape. What did we escape from? How about hopelessness? We were hopeless. Sinners are hopeless whether they realize it or not. That even makes it more hopeless when you don't realize it. When you don't realize the danger you're in. That you're in shackles to your sin. And you're going to face the holy God. The God that you know about. Having escaped. We escaped from this hopelessness. How did we escape? Christ rescued us. Did He not? In Galatians 1, He he rescued us from this present evil age. He is a rescuer. He rescued us from the effects of our sinful nature, right? He rescued us from the penalty of sin. He rescued us from the the effects of the the decaying world. That's what He means. He rescued us from this present evil age that's headed for destruction. We've already been we've we've already escaped, right? He set us free. He set us free from the penalty of sin. We are escaping. It's the already not yet model. We are escaping. He is he is setting us free from the power of sin in one day, beloved. This is the hope that comes with with Christ and his gospel. One day we will fully escape in our glorification. Our redemption will be complete. So to close with this verse in chapter 3, verse 13, this is the hope that you and I have been called to. But according to His promise. That's why some of the commentaries said, well, I think that promise is talking about that. (laughs) Yeah, that is definitely one of them. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Beloved, that's your hope. That is your hope. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is incredible. Your Word is so rich in truth. How so much truth can be packed in to a small section of Your Word. Your Word is endless. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You so much for the divine call. Father, we thank You so much that You love sinners. That You sent Your Son to save sinners. And Father, we pray for those who don't know You that we love. God, that You will call them to Yourself. That they will repent and believe. 
they will come to you by faith. That they will see how altogether beautiful and lovely and excellent you are. And how glorious you are. And they will come to you and surrender to you as Lord. That's what we pray. Father, we we adore you today. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.